Hello and welcome to the weekly podcast for the Michael Reed Show on LMFM. This is Michael Reed, and over the course of the next while, we listen back to some of the best parts from the show from the week gone by. On Monday's programme, we spoke uh, to Peter Fitzpatrick, who's a TD for Louth and East Meath, about uh, the formation of a government and who, as an independent, he may align himself with in terms of negotiating a deal. Now let's talk about uh, the formation of a government with independent TD in Louth and East Meath. Peter Fitzpatrick, who has come into studio with us once again. A very good morning to you and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. I suppose we've been talking uh, about uh, the void that there is uh, since uh, the general election and something like coronavirus puts that very much into perspective for people who are looking for leadership and are looking for people to make decisions uh, on whether to put the country into lockdown or to cancel St. Patrick's Day or something like that. But we're a long way off forming a, a government. Tell us about the talks that you've been having. Well, Michael, as you know, Michael, uh, I'm now a member of the regional group and the regional group is made up of nine TDs from all around Ireland. Uh, we met up there about two weeks ago and we decided to form a group. Uh, since we formed a group, we got an invitation to meet uh, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. We met the three parties there last week. Uh, we thought it was productive. Our message to them was that the people wanted a stable government the people wanted an effective government mm. and that we were willing to work with any of the parties to, to have that. That was okay. something. Right. And you're negotiating as a group? At, at the moment, Michael, we are, Michael. Uh, like, for example, like, uh, when we met Fianna Gael uh, last week and we met Leo Varadkar and his team, uh, eight of us turned up. The only person that didn't come with us was, uh, was Pedro Tobin. Mm. Pedro decided that he didn't want to get involved with Fianna Gael. We, we spoke with Leo Varadkar and the first thing he said to us was that uh, his parliamentary party doesn't want to win the government. He wants to win the opposition. But then they finished the whole thing off that he says that he's going to leave all his options open. Mm. Uh, we met Michal Martin. Michal Martin uh, is, says that he wants to, uh, to form a government. He wants to form a, fi- a stable mm. government that's going to last five years. And uh, and then we met, we met Matt Carty then from Sinn Féin. And mm. basically, Matt, Matt was saying the sacks down there at the moment. So, so basically, Michael, And were the three parties happy to talk to you as a group? Well, Michael, in fairness, when I met Fine Gael and I met Fianna Fáil, mm. I met with a group. When I met Matt Carty, I met Matt individually because mm, some, mm, of the, some mm. of the group that we have okay. won't, won't speak to you. But Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, they were happy to speak to you as a group. Oh, the one did, yeah. Were they, yeah? yeah, see, mm-hmm. see, the, the way they were happy are, to talk to Verona Murphy. Well, Michael, I'm not going to go down that road, Michael. The bottom line, Michael, is uh, that the people want a stable government, uh, people want an effective mm. government, and we went as a group to, to, to speak to everybody. And uh, in fairness, as mm. I said, is, uh, but Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil were obviously happy to talk to Rona Murphy, who wants to deprogram children in asylum centres. Well, in fairness, Michael, the, the whole lot of us uh, participated in, in, in the talkings, and Verona Murphy did speak, and, mm. uh, and, and Michal Martin and and uh, uh, Neil Varadkar did speak to Verona Murphy. Mm. And Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael were happy to talk to Noel Grealish, who doesn't want asylum centres, doesn't want refugees anywhere near him in Galway. Well, Michael, as you know yourself... Michael, He's a problem with Nigerians. Black people, I think, is his problem, isn't it? Well, Michael, I think I think all the parties at the moment have problems. Uh, Fine Gael don't want to win the government. Uh, Fianna Fáil mm. don't want to speak to Sinn Féin. And, like, like the, the, the country voted for a change. Mm. Michael, as I said here from day one, was I'm willing to talk to all parties. As I said, it's very, very important going mm. forward. Is like, but you obviously don't have any problem yourself with I, the members of your group uh, because you're in the same group as Verona Murphy and Noel Grealish, uh, both who have been asked uh, to retract statements because they've been seen as being racist. Well, as I said, Michael, the, the, the main reason we started up the group was, Michael, that, uh, was, was that if we didn't get into into a group, we wouldn't mm. get speaking time, we wouldn't get leaders' questions, we wouldn't get... Oh, but there's loads. There. That's one of uh, at least three independent groups. Uh, so there's plenty of groups you could have joined up with. But you've decided to join the same group as Noel Grealish and Verona Murphy. Uh, do, you, do you agree at all with their comments on uh, people coming into this country? No, Michael, to be quite honest, Michael, I never got involved in that, Michael. As, as I said, yeah, it was... Uh, but you've got involved with them. Yeah, Michael, as I said, yeah, Michael, we all got involved with Michael. No, but you formed a group with them and they're, they're the people who made those comments uh, I mean they are part of the same group as you you are part of the same group as them uh, when people look on you they're going to look on you in the same way as they look on them do you agree with their comments well, or Michael, do you disassociate yourself from them no Michael if you let me just speak Michael for a moment I'll explain Michael the reason why we got together was Michael was uh, like being an independent uh, it, it means that it's very hard to get like get speaking rights and talk to leaders questions out there so we decided was mm. the nine of us together now the bottom line Michael is we can work individually we can work collectively mm. as I said here was uh, some of the some of the some of the members of the group wouldn't speak to 
Sinn Féin. Mm. We were talking uh, with Marion Harkin, who yes. uh, formed a, a, another yeah. group of independents along with people like Catherine Connolly uh, and uh, Joan Collins. Uh, there's another independent group with the Healy Rays and Matty McGrath, Carol Nolan, uh, Michael Collins. Uh, th- 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 there were options. Uh, I, I mean, you could have joined a group but this is the group that you chose to join. And any group is made up of the individuals who are in it. And two of the individuals are the people who have been asking you about who have been controversial because of comments they've made about people coming to this country. Uh, do you agree with those comments or do you disassociate yourself from those comments? Well, Michael, uh, well, probably the simplest thing Michael says, I disassociate myself with their comments, Michael. The simple reason was, uh, like, uh, independence. The, the only one really is not independent would be Peter Tobin. That's Peter Tobin has his own, uh, his own uh, mm-hmm. out there. Michael, we got together and I said, uh, well, one to speak to all organisations, uh, we, we got uh, we got a, a, an open an open invitation to, to come to the three parties. Mm. And they said, "Yeah, all people in my constituency and their constituency at the moment is want to have a, a stable government, want to have an effective government." So I think, Michael, is in fairness, we we own it to the people who voted for us to negotiate with these mm. people. And as an independent TD, Michael, as I said to you from day one, part of my manifesto mm. was that if Peter was part of it, looking up to represent the people of Loud and East Mead, that I would negotiate with them, Michael. Yeah, but. You choose to align yourself with the two individuals that I've mentioned. There's another member of your group uh, who's been controversial, oh, I don't know, for 30 years. Uh, 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 but you're you're happy uh, to align yourself with Michael Lowry. Michael, yes, Michael, uh, the position was, as I said to you, Michael, uh, uh, there was just three groups of independents uh, uh, set themselves up. Michael, whether it was Sinn Féin, Fianna mm. Fáil, Fianna Gael, you always get people that's going to be controversial, Michael. And uh, as you just said, he is, well, well, not quite um, as controversial as we're talking about now. But, uh, I mean, uh, Michael Lowry has always disputed the findings of the Moriarty Tribunal. Do you accept the findings of the Moriarty Tribunal? I do, need Michael. I do, do, you, do you accept that it is beyond doubt that Michael Lowry gave substantive information to Dennis O'Brien, making him one of the richest people in the country? Well, Michael, first of all, Michael, I'm not a judge, I'm not on jury. Michael, no, that's, that's the findings of the, of the tribunal. I asked you if you accepted the findings of the tribunal. And I said I did, Michael. Mm. So you believe that you've aligned yourself with somebody who gave substantive information to a businessman that made him one of the richest people in the country, uh, something that was disgraceful and insidious and uh, misled government. Well, Michael, as I said to you, Michael, was, I, I, I made myself a member of the group. Um, Michael Lowe is, is, is a member of the group. I said to you, decisions will be made uh, collectively and individually. Uh, we, we, could go in, we could go in and maybe Michael or maybe Verona Murphy mm-hmm. or maybe no greaters and that mightn't agree with us. But Michael went in and Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin has accepted mm-hmm. it, that we could be a group we could be, and we could go in our own separate ways. I'm in there, Michael. And uh, do you accept all the findings of the Moriarty no, Tribunal? Michael, do you accept as well if that... You, it, if, it, if, if you please let me finish, Michael. Okay. As I said to you, Michael was... Uh, uh, we, we, we all told individually that we work together, we work, work individually, and mm. that uh, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin and Fine Gael asked us, would be willing to continue on our negotiations mm. as a group and also as individuals, and we said yes. But so you ex- I, I, I would be expecting to meet Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin and Fine Gael this week, whether it's as a group or as an individual. OK, but you accept uh, that at the time uh, that uh, Michael Lowry gave this information to Dennis o- O'Brien so that he, he got... Uh, the national telephone license and that he, he misled John Bruton and government and Fine Gael and the country that at the same time uh, he was uh, getting payments in kind from Dennis O'Brien uh, who facilitated payments to Larry of £147,000 sterling £300,000 sterling and a benefit equivalent to a payment in the form of O'Brien support for a loan of £420,000 sterling Michael I said to you a few minutes ago Michael I accepted the findings of the tribunal and that's all I'm going to say, Michael. Okay, and do you accept the findings of uh, the tribunal to mean that you've aligned yourself with somebody who has had offshore accounts for the purpose of evading tax? The only thing I align myself with, Michael, I'm a member of the regional group uh, and nine individuals. Uh, I'm looking for speaking time. I'm one of the leaders' questions and I want to be able to represent my, my constituents in Loud and East Mead and that's the reason I joined the group. Mm. I will be meeting Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael over the next number of days. It'll either be collectively or individually okay. and I think, that, Michael, mm-hmm. that's the only decision I've made, Michael. But the, 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 those issues, those points that I put to you about the three members of your group, Noel Grealish, Verona Murphy and Michael Larry, 
are of no relevance as far as you're, well, as Michael, far as you're concerned in terms of how you're negotiating. As I said to you, Michael, is, well, 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 group, and the reason why we're group, Michael, is, 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 if we're speaking time, is, as I said to you, Michael, I've agreed to meet all the parties, whether it's a group or individuals. As I said to you, the first, the first, the first group we had met, we met uh, the leader of the leader of, uh, and the Taoiseach of uh, Fine Gael, mm. and Pallet Bean it wouldn't come. The next meeting we had, all nine turned up, and then the last meeting we had with Sinn Féin was, we, most of us went collectively and individually to, to, to meet mm. Sinn Féin. As I said to you, we're just there as a group, Organised as a group, mm. just for really for speaking time, and I'm Who, hoping I'm hoping to represent my constituents as best okay. I can. Which members of your group won't speak to Sinn Fein? Well, Michael, uh, to be quite honest, Michael, I'm not too sure, Michael, because uh, uh, Sinn Fein Matt Carty contacted me a number of times over the last number of weeks, and we we, we met up because every time we went to meet up, we just seen to have a problem. I, I wasn't there, he wasn't there. Mm. We met last week, and he said he asked me, uh, as I said, Michael, even through all the, the main issues like even uh, housing, health. Children, rent, USC, mm-hmm. we went everything, and we had a good chat there for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. And he wanted to know could we continue our discussions next week? And I said yes. And as far as I know, Michael, I know as, as a regional group, is I'm one that met him. I'm not too sure mm. if, if any other members have met Sinn Fein. But, you, but you said some of your members didn't want to meet them. Yes, oh no, Michael, mm. uh, when, when, we, when, we, uh, when we first got the invitation from Fine Gael and from Fianna Fáil, mm. some of the members of the group said that they wouldn't be interested in meeting Sinn Féin. Mm. Can you tell us which members? Well, I think, Michael, it's up to them individuals to disclose their own reasons for not meeting Sinn Féin. Okay, and can you tell us why they said they didn't want to meet Sinn Féin? They didn't state, Michael, why they wouldn't meet Sinn Féin. Okay, and is there any purpose to one member of the group meeting a political party when the rest of the group doesn't meet with them? Well, Michael, I didn't say, like, uh, there's nine members of the group, Michael, so uh, I presume that a few of us, maybe four or five. Mm. I don't know. I don't. Mm. I don't actually know, Michael. All I know is that Peter Fitzpatrick, TD for Loudon and East Meath, mm. has said from day one that I would meet the three groups, and I've met the three groups. But there's, but there's no point in you meeting Sinn Fein if your group won't do a deal with Sinn Fein, or, or unless, of course, you're willing to do a deal with Sinn Fein and leave your group. Is that? how open you are to these discussions well Mike as I said to you, the, the reason why the group met up is I, I, I don't want to keep repeating myself is the main mm. reason was, was speaking time now Michael if, if, if the group uh, decided to split up they decided to split up but the bottom line is Michael is I've given a commitment that I will speak to the three parties and I'm willing to talk to the three parties I can't say who and who won't of the, of the group as I said to you eight of the group have spoken to, to uh, Fianna Gael the whole nine group are speaking to uh, Fianna Fáil I know and, and I'm sure there's other members of the, the regional group spoke to Sinn Féin but all I know is for definite that I, Peter Fitzpatrick has spoken to Sinn Féin Okay and what do you think will happen in the Dáil on Thursday? Well Michael as you know yourself Michael uh, there's going to be no election of the Taoiseach uh, the Business Committee is going to uh, discuss what's going to happen on the 5th and also on the, uh, the, the, the Dáil is going to re- recess for another two weeks on, uh, and resume back on the 19th uh, they're going to re-establish the, 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 the reform committee there, which means that the, the problems that we had there with, with the key and, and the farming issue is going to be hopefully sorted over the next few, few weeks. So, Michael, uh, all I hope is that uh, the, the bottom line is people are fed up. Mm. People want to see a steady government. People want to see a government that's going to do the work. As I said here, I, 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 my personal opinion is I don't think we can put a minority mm. government in there. I just don't think the numbers work. But most I, likely the doll will meet on Thursday and adjourn to April, I take it. No, Michael, as I said a second ago, Michael, mm. the doll will resume on the 5th of March. Yeah. It will then resume in the 19th of March, two weeks after, after that there. Basically, what they're doing, Michael, for, on, on, on Torsa, they're going to talk about statements to do with mm. the, the coronavirus. They're going to talk about the EU statements. Mm. The following week... But your ministers will be abroad on the 19th, won't well, they? Well, the following, mm. on the 19th, what they're doing, mm. Michael, is they're going to continue on with the, uh, with the, with the EU statements and also going to talk about drugs and crimes. Mm. Michael, there's no one as much frustrated as myself. I've made myself available to talk to all parties. I said, and I, and I think, that, like, but if, if they do need time, I think it's important that, we, that it's no point getting a government that's going to last for two or three months. I think it's very, very important that we get a stable government. We've got a lot of issues coming down the road, is and the big issue we have come down the road, especially in the border area, is the Brexit. So I think, like you know, I think it's very important. Uh, Fianna Fáil has made it quite clear that they won't negotiate with Sinn Féin. Uh, I think I, I have a funny feel. My, my personal prediction is, and whether I'm right or wrong, is I think two of the three main parties have to come together to, to get a coalition. Mm-hmm. I think then they'll probably need the Greens who have 12, and then I'd, I'd say they'll be looking for some kind of a safeguard by going for maybe so many individuals in case that maybe the Green parties fall out with someone out there. But I, I think, Michael, it's, it's very, very important. And that we get a stable government, it'd be mm-hmm. nice to you know get it sorted once and for all. Absolutely, if they get around to it, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for coming into us. That's Independent TD for Louth and East Speed, Peter Fitzpatrick. 
The coronavirus, COVID-19, dominated the minds and hearts of everybody this week. And on Tuesday's programme, we got this expert advice from Dr Jack Lambert. Peter Daszak is a disease ecologist and the president of Eco Health Alliance in New York. He was writing in the New York Times this week about the coronavirus and how in early 2018, a meeting at the World Health Organisation of a group of experts called the R&D Blue print coined the term disease X. He says uh, they were referring to the next pandemic which would be caused by an unknown novel pathogen that hadn't yet entered the human population. Disease X, they said back then, two years ago, would likely result from a a virus originating in animals and would emerge somewhere on the planet where economic development drives people and wildlife together. Disease X would probably be confused with other diseases early in the outbreak and would spread quickly and silently exploiting networks of human travel and trade. It would reach multiple countries and thwart containment. Disease X would have a mortality rate higher than a seasonal flu, but would spread as easily as the flu. It would shake financial markets even before it achieved pandemic status. In a nutshell, he said COVID-19 is disease X and COVID-19 is certainly causing a lot of those problems. Maybe it's a a case of I hate to say I told you so, but uh, they did tell us so it would seem two years ago and the number of people now who have been infected with the coronavirus has passed 90,000 3,000 people have died and there's cases of COVID-19 in over 60 countries the World Health Organization has raised the global alert for COVID-19 to the highest possible level short of calling it a pandemic we're joined by Dr Jack Lambert infectious diseases specialist at the Matter Hospital good morning to you Dr Lambert and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. I suppose as everybody is uh, acutely aware at this stage, there's just one confirmed case of COVID-19 in the Republic uh, of Ireland. Uh, But if we're talking about a global pandemic, is it inevitable to say that there will be many more cases here and that multiple deaths are unavoidable? Well, first off, yes, I think it's going to spread in some countries and it's not going to spread in some countries depending upon the preparedness of the country. So it's spread in China because they weren't prepared. It's it's spread in South Korea. It's spread in northern Italy. Um, There's been cases for weeks and weeks and weeks now in the UK, and it seemed to be fairly well contained because they have a very good plan for containment. So I think, yes, it's going to continue to spread, but the degree of how much it spreads is going to depend on the infrastructure of the country. Right. Uh, And... What does that mean in terms of Ireland's preparedness and what we should be doing to be better prepared? Well, let let me use the UK as an example. They've, in preparation for this new infection coming along, they have a national isolation unit in London. They have a full-time person working on it. They have staff that's been preparing for the next pandemic, you know, coming along. So, so... And they have a whole document on from A to Z and a roadmap of what to do in terms of current plans, what happens next, what happens next, what happens next. Now, if we get to Ireland, we have a national isolation unit. I was in charge of the national isolation unit of Ireland during the Ebola epidemic. So we had lots of plans between, and, and I was in charge of that between 2010 and 2017. And we had lots of plans, but following the Ebola epidemic, I think we dropped the ball because of lack of resources, moving on to another crisis. And I think the government did as well. And I think we're less prepared for for the next, you know, epidemic. And we're less prepared for coronavirus in the UK is because they've kept they've kept working on the next epidemic. Uh, We've kind of dropped the ball, in in, in my opinion. Um, However, now that Corona's on, on, on the radar screen, the government has started having, you know, special task forces, special meetings and this and that. And it's start, starting to put together a blueprint and a roadmap for what to do today, what to do tomorrow. What if there's, it goes from one case to 500 cases? What if it starts spreading in the community? What are the plans for community testing? Uh, the government's starting to address these issues, but... UK had these issues addressed the middle of January. We're we're in March now. So I think we're a little bit behind the eight ball. And if there is an outbreak, time will tell whether we manage it or not. I think it's it's a bit scary. 
um, that you know that we have the potential of this this spreading um, like it has in Italy. Um, but if if work if we work very hard on this and put together the resources and put together a very good plan and communicate that plan to all of the caretakers in Ireland, I think we do have an opportunity to follow the UK model, not the Italian model, not the South Korea model, where it kind of got out of control. Mm. Uh, we have experience uh, and much experience uh, of uh, these uh, type of uh, diseases over a very long period of time. Uh, Ebola, as you're saying, being one of them, SARS, MERS, and now COVID-19. And uh, I think a lot of uh, these uh, diseases are linked to wildlife, aren't they? Absolutely. They're called zoonosis, spreading from animals to humans. That's how they orig- That's their origin. And a lot of that has to do with how we're living in the world today and uh, because of how we live and uh, uh, treat the planet, uh, we're more uh, open to these type of diseases because we're in greater contact with animals. Sure, global warming, uh, you know, humans encringing and animal habitats, all those things increase the likelihood of it, it created the the COVID-19 crisis, and, and there'll be another one down the way. You can anticipate that in a few years. And is that part of the problem, that in, instead of anticipating or just anticipating uh, and not uh, trying uh, to act uh, to prevent rather than to treat, uh, we are taking this fire brigade uh, approach uh, and looking for a vaccine after something like this uh, develops? Yeah, when we're talking about vaccines, uh, you know, we need a proactive pro- approach out of the crisis. We, di- we didn't have a proactive pro- approach a year ago, um, you know, dis- despite many people calling for this proactive approach. Now we're in a reactive approach. So I think next time around, we need to actually make, we need to deal with this crisis. Um, and I think efforts have been done by the Department of Health and the HSE to do that. Um, I would say a bit late in the game, but but I think a good effort is ongoing now. But I think to prevent this, again, we need to do what the UK did. We need to have people resourced. We are the National Isolation Unit at the Matter Hospital. We, we need to continue to train, prepare, be resourced, have staffing, have facilities, have educational programs ongoing, not just for the Matter, but also for the community, so that when the next crisis comes, we're prepared and not behind the eight ball. Uh, there's uh, an awful uh, amount of panic. Some of it uh, is warranted uh, concern, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, that uh, there's always a risk with something like this uh, of uh, people becoming hysterical. But uh, does a disease like this have uh, the potential uh, to result in uh, the exin- extinction of humanity? Absolutely not. I mean, this is the common cold virus. So if you or I get it, or these kids in the school system that have it in, in Ireland, they'll get over it just like the common cold. The risk is it's very contagious. So they can spread it to somebody in a nursing home, somebody in the hospital, their grandmother, somebody in the family with chronic lung disease. And 4% of those will die. If you or I get it, if we have normal health, if children get it, if they have normal health, they get sick with a cold, but they do go over it. But So the risk is... is I, so I think there is huge panic. You know, there is huge panic right now, mm. worrying about... Uh, healthy individuals getting it and then dying from it. That's not what's happening. They're spreading on to other sick people. And we say that's only 4% mortality or 3% mortality from China. But you see, 3% of of 100,000 people or a million people is a lot of people dead. Um, so, So I think the statistics don't really mean anything, but it is a self-limiting infection in most cases. It's highly contagious and um, I think the panic is 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 a bit overdone in terms of, you know, to the general population in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Hugely contagious. We have to contain it. Um, but if you do get it, uh, you're you're going to get over it. If your grandma gets it, she may die from it. Mm, uh, hugely contagious, but nowhere near as contagious as some diseases like measles, as we heard from the HSE the other day. If somebody gets measles, it's likely that they'll pass it on to 14 to 18 other people, whereas if you develop COVID-19, uh, you may pass it on to two or three people. 
Well, that's the theory. That's what they say. But, but then, then again, that's the minimal risk. If you look at the, the... We don't know. This is a new virus. This is the hypothesis. We don't know if that's the situation. We'll know, that, we'll know how contagious it is at the end of the epidemic once it's over with, once we do a post-mortem on, on, on the epidemiology and the transmissibility. There was a UK individual that came from Singapore who was perfectly healthy. They said he was a high transmitter. He infected over 10 other people. So you could actually say that this is, you know, he went from Singapore to, to, to France, France to, to the UK, and he infected about 10 different people along the way. So it may be more transmissible than we're aware of. So I'm not downplaying the transmissibility yep. mm-hmm. of it. I'm just to reassure people, though, the pathogenicity, 97% of people will just get common cold-like symptoms and get over it. Okay, so one child in a school in North Dublin has COVID-19, so there's obviously concern for the other 400 students and their teachers. But the likelihood is you would suggest that any of them who contract this disease will get over it quite quickly and without anything to worry about in the future. But they may pass it on to their granny. What if their granny is in a nursing home? How concerned would you be for all of uh, the residents in a nursing home if it got into it? I'd be absolutely concerned and that's what's happened. That's happened with flu. There's been outbreaks of flu in nursing homes and you know the the flu death rate is one in or two in a thousand. It's ten times less than this this virus. But, um, But if it gets into a nursing home it kills a, a higher percentage because these are elderly people, some of them with lung disease, some of them with diabetes, this and that. So if that child went to a nursing home and was coronavirus positive, then, yeah, many people in that nursing home could be debilitated. This is the importance of isolation and, and prevention of spread. It's a critically important concept. The government's doing a great job of that at the present time in terms of tracking down those kids in the, in the school um, I'm, but, but to reassure the parents, those kids are fine. It's the, it's the collateral uh, damage that could occur if, the, you know, if, if it spreads beyond those kids. Uh, and you'd fully support the idea of closing down the school? I think it was a great idea. Mm. Uh, and don't close down all the schools. Uh, and closing down a, a nursing home to all intents and purposes, uh, that it would be contained and uh, people would be isolated within that nursing home. Uh, what about if uh, it develops uh, within uh, somebody who's uh, living in a hotel? Should the hotel be closed down? Tough, tough decisions, tough decisions. Mm. I, you know, it's, it's very hard to say. You know, you'd, ha- you'd have to, mm. you know, like I said, uh, I think that's a decision for public health. In some situations, that's a bad decision. If you look at what happened on the, in Yokohama, the princess, the, 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 the one case turned into 600 cases. And I'm not sure all, some of them might have been infected just from being quarantined on the boat and spread after that initial event so so you have you have to kind of look at the situation um the, mm. the, the hotel might not be the best situation based on the circulation based on the you know the, the flow of oxygen the flow of air conditioning the flow of the, the the heating supply and this and that so you'd have to kind of do an assessment uh case by case okay and what about the case of uh, the belfast enterprise uh, train we know uh, that a passenger uh, traveled on the enterprise uh, to Belfast uh, and was confirmed to, to have COVID-19. In Road Aaron said they deep cleaned the train. Is that sufficient? Absolutely, that's sufficient because it's like I said, it's not just cough, it's, it's spread not just by respiratory spread, but if you're coughing and you take your hanky and you put it down on a table and then your hand is touching the table, somebody can come along, touch the table, touch their face and spread it. But if you disinfect all those surfaces, you're fine. Mm. And what about the staff working on the trains? Uh, would they be fine or would they uh, have uh, the possibility of bringing that virus back onto a, a train that has been deep cleaned? Well, once it's, well, the thing is, is that mm. those, those individuals then should be, should be tracked down. So, so all individuals who were in close proximity to the index case that went to Belfast, mm. public health has, has, has contacted them and given them advice. If you do that, then you can contain it. If you miss one of those and they get sick and they get symptomatic and they come back to work, there's all these theoretical possibilities. The critical part is once you identify an individual as positive, Mm. uh, public health has to kind of uh, track all all those with significant contact and quarantine them or give them advice or, or test them 
that's a decision that has to be made by public health. I, I think, Dr. Lambert, uh, people are, are very anxious uh, and uh, to a point where people are almost fretting uh, about this uh, and worrying themselves uh, to no end. Uh, what, what advice have you got? I mean, we've been hearing a lot of uh, the general advice uh, about washing our hands uh, and uh, making sure that we get rid of handkerchiefs uh, uh, and that sort of practical advice. But what would you say to people uh, in, in terms of any sense of anxiety that they're feeling? Well, I, I think it's usually overplayed, you know, like common sense. I wouldn't travel to northern Italy. Um, you know, I wouldn't travel to China, you know. Um, but there's one case who's quarantined in Ireland in a population of 5 million. I mean, I mean, you have to be, you have to be practical here. Now, if, it, if, it, if two weeks from now, if it outbreaks to thousands of cases in Dublin, we'll have to have another plan. But right now, I, I would I would go ahead as as as, as normal. I'm tra- I travelled last week to Frankfurt. No issues to me. I'm travelling to the UK for a meeting on Thursday. No issues to me. I wouldn't travel to Northern Italy by plane. You know, I, I think you just have to use common sense here. So I think, yeah, we are we are in a hysteria mode. But I've told you, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's not Ebola. It's a virus that that normal people will 100% go over, just like the common cold. That the high risk is is individuals who are immunocompromised, elderly people, um, and we we shouldn't be overreacting, which we are at the present time, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Well, I, I think people will uh, appreciate hearing your expert opinion. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Jack Lambert, infectious disease specialist at the Matter Hospital. The coronavirus uh, did, in fact, uh, dominate uh, the week, as it probably will for many weeks to come. And we spoke to Pater Tobin about COVID nineteen on Wednesday's program. He's a TD for Meath West and uh, the leader of the Ain Two Party. But we also spoke to him about how stroke services have. Uh, been removed from Our Lady's Hospital in Navan because he's also the chair of the Save Navan Hospital campaign. The Dáil will meet tomorrow. It's the second time that politicians will go to work since the election, which was held a month ago. What will they do? Undoubtedly, there will be much political point scoring, but the Parliament will do little to affect how the country is being run. The AIM2 party is calling for the doll to be recalled in order to tackle the challenge facing the country from the coronavirus, COVID-19. Today uh, we're confirming that Ireland has uh, diagnosed one uh, new case of COVID-19. Uh, the case arises in a female in the east of the country and is associated with travel from northern Italy. We have now 397 people in total who have been tested as of Monday the 2nd of March yesterday evening. The position internationally is that there are now 91,783 confirmed cases, 11,480 of which are outside of China. In in relation to Europe, in Italy there are now 2,036 confirmed cases, in France 191, in Germany 188 in Spain, 151, and in the UK, 54. Those are the top five countries in Europe by, by number. The, the government's, government's chief, chief uh, medical, medical officer, officer Tony, Tony Holland, speaking uh, to members of uh, the press at a HSE press conference yesterday. Uh, we're joined by the leader of AIM2, Peter Tobin, who's a, a TD in Mead West, and you're suggesting uh, that uh, the doll would be recalled and function fully, and indeed that the health committee would be put in place and help to make decisions in terms of how the country is responding to uh, this health crisis. Uh, you're concerned, I think, about how the government is handling it or the caretaker government is handling it. Well, first of all, we think it's scandalous that the government, that the doll is on holidays at the moment. We think that, you know, the urgency that was in the mouth of all of the TDs that stood for election just a month ago it has been replaced by a kind of a, you know, it's a let's wait and see what happens attitude. I'm sure it won't be just grand. And I think that, you know, we have already got significant crises around housing, healthcare, crime, transport, uh, and regional imbalance. And on those bases of alone, the doll should be mm. back working and doing its job. But obviously on top of that, we have the coronavirus, which is a significant threat to the health of the people of Ireland and also to the economy But you made Ireland. the point in your press release uh, that the government is acting in a, a way differently than governments are acting in different jurisdictions. Have you got a, a problem with how uh, the government is responding <sighs> to this so far? I do. I have a problem, first and foremost, that there's no oversight and accountability to the system. So we have 
a government with no mandate, uh, which is making the decisions, and yet the TDs with a fresh mandate haven't got the ability to hold them to account whatsoever, or the HSC, and that's what the the doll and the committee is is about. But the government is a, a, the government is following the advice of uh, Tony Holhan, uh, the chief medical officer, and the experts in the HSC. Should they ignore that advice? Well, first of all, all governments in the world are following the advice of their medical experts. Okay, many governments have different approaches. So, in Britain, for example, uh, they have a different approach to traceability. So, um, in Ireland, what we did was. Uh, we sent a couple of people in yellow T-shirts to hand out leaflets at the airports. In Britain, what they did was they sent medics to the airports and the people who came off the planes from affected areas, their details were taken and there was a level of traceability uh, started uh, from as soon as that air, airplane landed in the country. And, you know, uh, in, in Ireland, we had a situation where when people came back from, let's say, skiing trips to schools, uh, they were told that unless they had some of the symptoms of a particular virus, they were to carry on as normal. But in Britain, if they came back from the affected areas, those schools were closed. And actually, quite seriously, it was uh, people were told to self-isolate uh, with regards to would the law would be brought against them if they didn't self-isolate. So there's been different approaches. And all I'm saying is that both countries have followed the medical advice. So obviously, the medical advice is different in both countries. But at the same time, we should have the elected representatives of the people adding to the solutions that are there, trying to hold the government to account to make sure different issues, for example, are, are dealt with. Right now, if you're a worker and you have to self-isolate, there's no plan put in place for you to be able to continue having an income for that period of time of self-isolation. So many people will, you know, who have mortgages and who have rent and who, you know, who are to the pin of the collar already will be asking themselves, well, can I afford to get a test done here? Because if I do get a test, I'll have to self-isolate. If I self-isolate, I have no funds to be able to continue raising my family. But as many as 20% of uh, the workforce could be out of work, sick at some stage over the course of uh, how this virus runs. Absolutely. And so what we're just saying, it's absolutely bananas that the elected representatives are on holidays during this period of time, that every house in the country is discussing this serious crisis, except the houses of the Oireachtas. And um, it, it, it's just so frustrating as a TD to be able to, to, to be seeking to add to the solutions uh, towards this particular crisis. And yet we have a political establishment that is dithering uh, around government formation. And, you know, we're, we're, as you said, we're nearly a month after the general election. And yet there have been no formal talks between any of the parties with regards to government formation. And we have, we have the likes of Fine Gael saying, that they're not going to go into government unless it's the last resort. Uh, and yet, we, we know from the conversations of all the leaders of the party that it's likely to be a Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Green and independent government. So, you know, it's, it's just mind-blowing that we have to wait this length of time for the, for the parties to get serious about government formation. And that's why Aintu made those statements with regards recalling the doll, first and foremost for the housing crisis, for the health crisis, for the transportation crisis, and, and crime, but also to deal with this new crisis of, of COVID-19. OK, let's stay with the medical issues and a separate medical issue because uh, you're the leader of the N2 party, but also uh, the chair of the Save and Navin Hospital campaign. You're holding a second public meeting in order to generate opposition to a decision uh, not to treat stroke patients in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Indeed, you're uh, considering uh, protesting over this and taking to the streets, uh, despite the medical advice that we heard on the programme yesterday. In Our Lady's Hospital in Navan, there is no stroke unit. There are no stroke specialist consultants. And one of the parameters of the quality of the service, which is the time to start dissolving the clot, was, unfortunately, through no one's uh, problem, mm. the time was one of the longest in the country. Mm. Now the patients are transferred by ambulance to our, the Matter Hospital, where, one, there is a designated stroke specialist uh, who provides a consultant-led service 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. They have the state-of-the-art imaging in terms of CT and MRI and they have the record for being the best 
stroke service in the country. They are the only hospital in Ireland and the UK to have received the European Stroke Organisation Award. People in Mead will be brought to the best stroke service in the country. The medical advice is to go ahead with that instead of going to a hospital that doesn't have a stroke unit. That's uh, the advice from Dr. Jerry McEntee, the clinical lead uh, clinician and uh, the lead clinician in Our Lady's Hospital, uh, speaking to us yesterday, Patrick Tobey. And what do you say to that? Well, first of all, tonight's meeting is not just about stroke. It's also about the fact that the A&E in Navin is in a critical situation with regards to its future. Um, now, just to talk about the issue of stroke, stroke has been treated uh, in Navin very well over the last number of years. Thrombolysis, the service uh, that uh, Dr. McEntee was talking about, is actually delivered uh, in Navin. And CT scanning is delivered in Navin. And every two years, about 35 people uh, were treated for stroke successfully, uh, you know, with very high results uh, in Navin. Now, one of the, issues, the problems I had with yesterday's interview was that the interview was about uh, Navin versus the Matter Hospital. But the clinical directive that was sent out by the ambulance service just about two weeks ago, and we spoke about it on your show, states that the, there should be stroke bypass of Navin Hospital and patients should be brought to Connolly Hospital, uh, Our Lady of Lourdes, Strahada, the Regional Hospital in Mullingar, and the Cavan General Hospital, as well as the Matter Hospital. Mm. So, you know, it's not a case where you're, you're just comparing the results of Navin to Matter. And for sure, you're never going to, to be able to beat the results uh, in the Matter Hospital. But people are being told to be brought to the likes of Connolly in Blanchardstown, yeah, Cahada, But to the matter where possible, which is the best service in the country and otherwise to other hospitals that have a stroke unit. Navin does not have a stroke unit. And the, the second point I wanted to, to, to make sure that people understand as well, uh, Dr. McEntee spoke about the, what, what's called the door-to-needle ratio. So this is the ratio, this is the time it takes for a patient to get to the door of the hospital to actually, to when they get the thrombolysis needle to, um, to obviously attack the clot uh, with, within the brain. Uh, now, that doesn't take into consideration the journey time it takes to get from, let's say, Athboy or Oldcastle to the Matter Hospital, which could add at least an hour uh, for that person uh, who is trying to get um, that service uh, from now on. Uh, and the, the second issue I would say to you in this, and this is a key issue, because oftentimes mm. we see one of the tactics used by the HSE to close down the service is for investment or resources to be reduced to that service until such a, a stage where the, the HSE can, can state that the service is becoming uh, difficult to maintain at a safe level. So what we're just saying in the Save, uh, in the Save Navin Hospital campaign, you don't just have one option to close a service. You have another option. And the other option is to strengthen the existing service that is being delivered in Navin. And what we want to see is proper consultant cover in Navin. We want to make sure that junior doctors have the training so we can get junior doctors into Navin so that Navin is not dependent on, on locum doctors continuously. We want to make sure that the College of Anaesthetists are providing training in Navin for their, uh, their anaesthetists there so we can have safe delivery of services. Because the problem but is that until every time you the, take... The problem is that until that's done, patients are not safe. Patients are at risk. And the protests that you're planning, according to Dr. McEntee, may put people's lives at risk. We'll just hear a little bit more from Dr. McEntee and what he said on the programme yesterday. Do they realise that by protest they may delay or obstruct the implementation of a process that is in the best interests of the patients of County Mead. And that if they do delay or the implementation mm. of the process, they are jeopardising the lives of the patients that they claim to represent and protect. Would it not be better if they joined with the hospital mm. to make Navin Hospital safer. So it is your medical opinion that somebody could die if uh, this protocol is delayed? Die or uh, as a result of a delay have a poor outcome from the stroke. Peter Tobin, how can you ignore Dr McEntee when he tells you uh, that what you're about to do may jeopardise people's lives? Well these were the, the exactly the same arguments that we used to close Annis Hospital and Nina Hospital. Both those uh, A&Es were closed in uh, both those areas. And now we have the only hospital servicing the, that area 
is Limerick Hospital. Limerick Hospital is radically overcrowded. And as a result, yeah, it, at least 350 people are losing their lives in this country due to hospital overcrowding in this state. So every year we hear from the HSE that it is logical to close a particular service. But it's also a threat to the lives of people if they're waiting 14, 50 minutes because a ambulance can't make it to their house because they're stuck, they're stuck in Dublin in traffic, waiting to get into the to the uh, Matter Hospital. Uh, if they can't get the services in their local hospitals, they have to travel further, and as a result, it's more difficult for them to. Achieve so you're arguing the point. Service. You don't accept that you are jeopardising people's lives. I, I uh, what I'm saying to you is, it is the reduction of the investment in Navan Hospital that is jeopardising mm. people's lives. It is the reduction of the investment in the A&Es around the country that is uh, affecting people's lives. That's what you're saying. Dr. Jerry Jerry McEntee said yesterday that in his medical opinion, if you protest against this, you will be jeopardising people's lives. Do you reject that? Well, well, first of all, there's there's no no such thing as uh, not this particular decision not going ahead. The decision has already gone ahead. The reason why we're having this particular meeting in Navan tonight with regards to this is on a separate matter of the A&E. And this is really important to understand because the HSE decided to take overnight governance away from the A&E starting last Monday. But because of the meetings that we held, uh, I met with senior executives of the HSE last week. We've managed to get overnight governance uh, kept in place until the end of this month. But when overnight governance goes from the A&E, the A&E overnight is likely to finish. And as a result of that, uh, there will be a serious threat again to the lives of people. So what we're saying to people with regards to tonight's meeting, tonight's meeting is about saving the accident and emergency in Navan Hospital. It is in critical condition. Uh, It is government policy to close it. There has been a letter on the minister's office for the last two years seeking to close it, and as a result, governance was to be pulled as of Monday this week. Governance overnight, thankfully, is now still in place, but only until the end of March. So we have a very short space and time in which to mobilise and to send a message to the government that they must protect A&E. What we want, very simply, is paramount. We want to see patient safety. But there must be patient safety on the back of investment, on the back of proper consultants cover, on the back of the fact that junior doctors can get training, anaesthetists can get training, and that Navin Hospital is a place that young medics want to come to mm. so that and, they can and, further and, their and own career. And as you say, there's a deficit in terms of all of that. So do you accept what Dr. McEntee said yesterday uh, and that this decision, as things stand, whilst that deficit is there, is in the best interest of patient safety? I do, not, uh, I do not believe that the solution to the deficit is closure. I believe that the solution to deficit is proper investment. And I believe that the long-term results of closure has a far more negative effect with regards to people's lives. Okay. People will die in ambulances trying to travel the country to find a hospital to deliver a service for them. Okay. And we, we have seen already this year where a, a man died in, on a trolley in the A&E in Limerick City. Uh, and it was a number of hours until people actually found that he had passed okay. away. Because our our hospital system is radically and dangerously overcrowded. And taking capacity out of hospitals such as Navin does nothing but increase that level of overcrowding. And that's why I'd ask the people of Mead, the, the hospital is the most important uh, piece of infrastructure we have in this county. And remember, Mead has had a massive amount of services taken away from it uh, over the last number okay. of years. Well, you're asking, so asking people the people to meet, to, meet to come tonight to the mm. meeting at 8 o'clock in the New Grange uh, and make sure that they have their say and listen to what's happening okay. to our hospital. All right. Got to leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Peter Hobine is aimed to founder and leader at TD in Mead West and to the chair of the Save Navin Hospital campaign. Wednesday saw a dramatic escalation of uh, the amount of coronavirus cases in the country and on Thursday morning I spoke with local GP Dr Mary Scully Thursday morning the 5th of March good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am this is Michael Reed on LMFM 93,166 confirmed cases and 3,199 deaths across 77 countries in the world there are 
12,744 of those cases are outside of China. In terms of the European experience, we have now, through the WHO uh, website, a report of confirmed cases in 2,502 cases in Italy, 240 in Germany, 212 in France, 151 in Spain, and 51 in the UK. And just some uh, brief mentions of things that we did today. There was an engagement across senior officials uh, across the whole of government, considering a number of the measures that we've talked about uh, with you before, those arising out of the expert group that met yesterday. Uh, And uh, it's important to say in the context of all that, we had some discussion and we'll be happy to talk to you in terms of your questions around mass gathering, uh, that there is at the moment as we see things on the basis of the information available, no implications that we see for any event, large or small, planned at the current phase in this country. That was uh, the situation at 6 o'clock yesterday when it was also confirmed uh, that there were more cases on the island of Ireland. We were notified by colleagues a short time ago in Northern Ireland of two new diagnosed cases of COVID-19 in that uh, jurisdiction. Uh, one arising associated with travel from northern Italy, the other arising as a result of close contact of a confirmed case elsewhere in the UK. The Chief Medical Officer Tony Holohan briefing uh, the press at 6 o'clock. By 9 o'clock, the situation had changed again with four confirmed cases. A family of four in County Clare confirmed to have the coronavirus COVID-19, bringing uh, the total number of uh, people on this island from three Two nine in such a short space of time. That's an increase of 200%. And it also sees huge increases elsewhere in the United Kingdom. The chief medical officer there is warning of a significant epidemic being highly likely. Whilst here, the health service executive, chief executive Paul Reid, is saying we can expect a potentially unprecedented situation for the health service. Let's talk about this now with Dr. Mary Scully, who's a G. With Abbey House Medical Centre in Navan. And a very good morning to you once again, Dr. Scully. And thanks for taking the time to be with us here on the programme this morning. I suppose to some degree this is what was expected, but it's worrying nonetheless. Absolutely. Good morning, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yes, it certainly is a concern for a lot of people. We're getting a lot of uh, worried people ringing in regarding symptoms, etc., and how likely they are to um, catch this virus. So, yes, there's a, there's a lot of concern and anxiety out there. Okay, we're in uh, what uh, they call a containment phase uh, and there's uh, several phases, four phases uh, in all uh, that governments will use to respond to to this. So we're at the very early stages, uh, but undoubtedly when you see an increase like that, the numbers are small, but the percentages are huge and it's happening very quickly, 200%. uh, It's uh, not too surprising to see the warnings come from uh, the health officials and as we can see in the papers today, plans are afoot for the worst case scenario, which would see people being told not to go to funerals or bring their children to crashes, uh, the army being brought in uh, to make sure that public order was uh, in place and indeed uh, to oversee quarantine camps. Well, yes, but I think we're jumping a little bit ahead of ourselves when we're talking about army and quarantine camps. As, as you say, the numbers have increased, but we're still very much in the containment phase. And, I mean, the good news is really, if there is such a thing, um, that all these cases are defined. They, we know they came from an outbreak area. Um, they've all been, um, you know, uh, had their, their, their details listed and their contact being done. And there hasn't been any community infection, as in somebody catching it off somebody in Ireland, mm. which would be the start of a more difficult phase to contain. So at the moment... You know, we really are still in the containment phase and, you know, people, you know, really should not be panicking excessively at this stage in time. Mm, That's in the Republic. It's not the situation in the north of Ireland uh, on the same island of uh, uh, because of the two cases yesterday, uh, one of them uh, was uh, transferred to another person from somebody else in the UK. It wasn't uh, that it uh, came uh, with somebody from Italy or elsewhere? Yes, it was somebody, but it was a contact from somebody from the UK. So um, it hasn't, I suppose, spread person to person as yet in Ireland. But I think, really, it probably is only a matter of time. And it's fair enough to be kind of preparing for things to get a, a little worse, all right. Mm. 
Uh, I read uh, as well of uh, a dog in Hong Kong uh, contracting the disease, uh, so uh, that uh, could pose even greater challenges. Well, yes, I read about that and uh, the dog was quarantined but didn't show any symptoms and really the overall feeling is that this is not something you're going to be able to pick up from your pets. Mm. But you can't teach your pets to wash their hands either, I suppose. Uh, no, that's, but uh, they don't the think it's transmissible mm. from pets to humans. Um, you know, that dog might have ha- so showed some pets trace of virus on it but really they do not think that they get that this is going to be transmissible from pet to humans Mm. Uh, we spoke before about uh, the importance of hygiene and that's the best advice that people can be given uh, to wash their hands and to wash their hands thoroughly and on an ongoing basis yes you have to remember this is a droplet spread infection so it's not airborne um, so it's not kind of in the air around you it's spread by infected people coughing, sneezing, etc. Um, and the droplets then landing wherever and that they can be then picked up by an unfortunate person who's close to them. So they say that the droplets can only really spread, you know, at maximum about six feet, even with a good sneeze. So, you know, outside of that area, um, you're not going to be coming in contact with it. Okay. Are you concerned about how people are reacting to it? Uh, There's a lot of anxiety if not hysteria. Local school in County Meath closed its doors yesterday, apparently outside of what would have been the guidelines to that school and uh, is being told to reopen again today. That's correct. Um, I'm not quite sure what the circumstances were where they decided Mm to close for the day, but they have been instructed to reopen. But as you say, there is kind of a certain level of perhaps overreaction to this at the moment. Um, So, you know, people do have to try to read responsible articles in the press, um, responsible media um, output about this, you know, rather than kind of getting, um, you know, freaked out about um, things that are maybe not happening at the moment in time. Uh, okay, uh, but uh, something like what happened uh, at uh, that school in County Mead yesterday will send out uh, conflicting messages uh, to parents uh, and that will leave them confused uh, at best. Uh, it's uh, very difficult, uh, I think, at uh, times uh, to decipher uh, what you should and shouldn't be doing. Yes, and that's where you know the um, health lines are available and the HSE helpline is available. Um, there are, uh, you know, um, your GP and there are various other kind of ways of getting information about where your risk is at. So, you know, at the moment, just to be clear, mm. at the moment in Ireland, um, the only way you can have picked up this virus um, at the moment is from having been in an area where there is a current outbreak. Mm. If you haven't been in an area where there's been a, an outbreak, uh, there's no hope of having contracted it. Is that what you're saying? Not unless you've been in contact with somebody else who has a confirmed infection. So they're the only two ways that you can get this virus at the moment is that mm. you have picked it up abroad, where mm. there's an outbreak, for example, in mm. northern Italy, um, or you have picked it up from a currently infected person, such as the few cases that are here at the moment. You cannot, it doesn't just arise de novo anywhere else. So those are the two instances where you can pick up this infection and you can't pick it up anywhere else. Mm. Um, but I suppose you could ask, what does that mean? Because we live in a, a very small world uh, and uh, we're quite often beside people uh, who've uh, come from elsewhere and may be feeling sick or may not be feeling sick yet and may be contagious or may, may not be feeling sick yet, but may be contagious. Um, they don't know exactly whether, you know, there can be much transmission from people who have no symptoms um, the data from China would suggest that there is very little transmission from people who do not have symptoms and that you only start actively shedding the virus when you do have symptoms such as coughs, etc. Um, you know, so there doesn't seem to be a big risk of transmission from people who do not have symptoms. And that is why the government have taken the, the actions that they are taking at the moment. So they're not closing down schools where, you know, children have come back from half-term holidays in Italy if they have not got symptoms. So that is the reason for that. Now, that may change when things may be disimproved, but that is the evidence for their current actions. 
Okay, about 80,000 people uh, have had this disease in China. But that's not really a very uh, big amount of people, is it? Uh, I mean, when you're talking about a population of over a billion, I think the population of China is about 1.3 billion. It really is a small amount of people. Uh, They've managed to contain it somehow. They did, although they use fairly, um, you know, uh, severe methods to contain it. But contain it, they do seem to have done. Um, The numbers are decreasing. uh, But whether, um, you know, other countries could get away with the types of containment that China Mm. did is kind of a little bit, um, you know, uh, we don't know whether people would accept those kind of levels of containment. Because it would bring the country to a standstill. It would, you know, I mean, mm. pretty much they had countries like like, like um, Wuhan was in com- almost complete lockdown mm. um, and the government were, you know, effectively forcibly quarantining people. So um, I don't know whether that would be acceptable in different countries. Mm. Can you envisage a situation here where parts of the country will be in lockdown? Uh, well, you know, it's really difficult to predict, mm. isn't it? Um, mm. At the moment, mm. you know, really anything could happen. Um, we're hoping that it's not going to get to that kind of stage, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's an unpredictable thing. This is a new virus where we don't really know how it's going to, to, um, to go in the future. Um, you know, we, you know, but, um, I was listening to, uh, watched, um, Claire Byrne's program from Monday night on, 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 um, mm. the RT, um, player last night just to see what she was saying. And they had a very interesting, um, uh, human uh, behavioural scientist on who said that the, even with low probabilities of catastrophic events, that human nature, um, by being human nature, tended to sort of overreact to even very low probabilities and sort of they took the could happen as being very likely to happen. Mm. So we have to remember that, you know, perhaps we don't want to kind of raise panic levels to a level where they're not wanted. We are seeing it already, I think, to some degree with uh, a degree of panic buying. Certainly outside of uh, this country, there's panic buying. I think they're talking about bringing in price restrictions on hand sanitizers and that sort of thing elsewhere. Mm, well, I don't think you can get a hand sanitizer in Navin anyway. <laughs> We've <laughs> okay. been looking yeah. for the surgery. Yeah, they're pretty difficult to get. And I I was asking you uh, last time I spoke to you if all of your patients were asking you about coronavirus, even if they were coming into you with a a sore toe, as the case may be. Uh, You said that wasn't really the case uh, then. Has that changed? Yes, it has changed somewhat now because when we spoke last week, uh, Mm. there hadn't actually been a confirmed case. It was only that later that day, I think the first confirmed case, the Northern Ireland one. Um, So, yes, there has been certainly a ramping up of um, people's concerns in the last week. And people are talking about it much more, um, not in so much in terms mm. of, oh, you know, my sore toe, could I have a mm. could I have coronavirus, mm. but mm. more just in general, like what do we think about it and what's the risk yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, that sort mm. of thing. Yeah, and uh, I take it uh, people are still getting sick otherwise uh, with sore toes and common colds for that matter. Yeah. Are, are people anxious if they have a cold and wondering if they may have contracted this virus? Yeah, we've fielded, I've fielded several phone calls from people with common cold symptoms who then sort of are worrying that they have caught the virus, um, you know, without any other sort of risk factors. They haven't travelled abroad, they haven't been in contact mm. with anybody. So, you know, you have to remember this time of year, um, you know, there's plenty of ordinary common or garden respiratory infections and common colds and even flu still circulating. Mm. And it's far more likely to be something like that. Mm. And the advice is pretty much the same, very similar anyway, that you shouldn't be coughing on top of people. And Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, all these respiratory mm, infections mm, are sort of, um, you know, travel in the same, kind of exactly the same way, so by droplet infection. So same advice about hygiene pertains to them all. Mm. Any thoughts on uh, the position uh, that uh, the HSE is taking and continues to take in uh, respect of St. Patrick's Day? Um. It's difficult to say at the moment. I, I do appreciate they're in a very difficult position in terms of um, giving a decision one way or the other. And as Tony Holohan says, at the moment, mm. there is no reason to cancel it. But in another week's time, that could be different. Um, and I think they'll have to kind of really, it could be a very, you know, um, short term decision be made, you know, very late in the day. But um, you know, it's it's nearly an impossibility to get it right at the moment. If people, if they say cancel it, 
you know, there's going to be, you know, huge implications mm. for the economy, etc. And people, like as I said, who have been, you know, sort of preparing their floats and bands for months and months. Mm. Um, so it would be very difficult to cancel it um, at the moment and it may be an overreaction. But, you know, later in the day, we've still got another what, nearly two mm. weeks um, to go before it. Um, things could have, you know, changed completely by that stage. And it may well be that mass gatherings are going to be a, yeah. a no-no mm-hmm. at that stage. But Our hand could really be forced at that stage. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Scully, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Dr. Mary Scully is a, a GP with Abbey House Medical Centre in Navan. And there you have it, just some of the issues that we've been discussing on the radio over the course of the last week on the Michael Reid Show on LMFM. We'll have another podcast for you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.